0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Cinemus, the podcast that's dedicated to discussing films found in the book 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. I'm your host, Mike Emmel, and I'm thrilled to be joined for today's fugitive-laden episode with the guy who is always on the run, Mr. Ryan Victory. Welcome back, man.
1: Hey, I am so happy to be here. I'm only going to be here for the next 10 minutes because they are coming, and i got to get out of (laughs) here.
0: And I have removed basically everything from in front of Ryan. He has no pens, no staplers, nothing with which he could... Kill me when we eventually disagree. <laughs>
1: all you need is a rolled up magazine. That's true. That's all you need.
0: <laughs> oh, man. It's good to have you back, dude. We haven't had you since uh, episode one. How you been?
1: I'm, I'm good. I'm, a, I'm really good. I'm a, very excited for these movies because I'm going to defend one of the best trilogies. Of my childhood. The
0: best trilogy of oh, your Not childhood. the best. Not of, not of, of all best. time. One of
1: the best. Not <laughs> of all time. I'm not, I'm not going so far. But
0: d- Did you have a good childhood?
1: I, d- uh, I did.
0: Okay. So it is a really good trilogy then. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's not like right. you had it's a horrible right. childhood. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's not true. It's pretty good. <laughs> well, welcome everybody. We hope you enjoy the show. If you do, you can check out all of our other episodes at our website at cinemusts.com. We spell that C-I-N-E-M-U-S-T-S dot com. You can also find all of our episodes on iTunes or on SoundCloud and Stitcher. You can follow us on the social media platform of your choice for any updates on new content. Uh, We're a community of film lovers, so we really enjoy hearing everybody's opinions and thoughts on the topics that we cover week to week. So any of those platforms is a great place to comment and reach out to us, as well as just emailing us at cinemas at gmail.com. And speaking of everyone's opinions, we have got some poll results from our last episode to go over. For those of you that are new to the show, every episode, we vote the two movies that we discuss into one of three categories that determine whether or not they truly are must-see movies. But obviously, just the two of us can't determine that. We need the entire community's voice to decide, and uh, the people have spoken for the movies we discussed on our last episode, Rashomon and Life of Pi. So, Ryan, for any newcomers, could you break down what the three categories we vote these movies into are and what the criterion for each is?
1: Sure, because all the movies that we talk about are in itself, they are all good movies for the most part. There might be a few exceptions here and there, but all of them are good. So we're not so concerned with talking about the quality. Um, we get into do get into the specific subjects, but we're mostly concerned with the recommendations. So our recommendation system goes as a Cine bust, which is a movie that you wouldn't recommend to anybody. You don't really think that anybody needs to see it. A Cine trust where, trust me, I think you would like it or a select group of people you would recommend this to or a cinema must where you think everybody, the film population or just the general uh, entertainment seeking population should see this film. And that's kind of the, the basis on which we recommend these films to our listeners.
0: You would grab a stranger on the street and shake them and say, you need to see mother.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> the,
0: the people spoke on that one.
1: <laughs> did, wait, did that one really get voted a cinema? must mother,
0: mother did get voted a cinema must. Wow! It joins The Matrix, Inception. It happened one night. Fight Club. There's a lot of good movies in there already. So, and that's all because we have an amazing listener base who goes to cinemas.com. They vote on those polls, and we really do appreciate. We really do appreciate not only those clicks to get the votes, but also people who share their opinions on why they voted the way they did. So let's go over the results from last week's show. Uh, both movies, Rashomon and Life of Pi, have been voted must. These are now considered movies that everybody has to see. Uh, pretty handily too, Rashomon with 60% of its votes going to Cinemust and Life of Pi 70%. So thank you so much to everybody who went to cinemust.com to vote on those. Those movies are now officially in the canon of must-see movies. We didn't get a ton of comments on why people voted the way they did, but we did get a couple that we love to read. Uh, This one for Rashomon actually comes from a voter who hasn't seen it. It reads, now I have not seen Rashomon, but thanks to cinemas, now I must see Rashomon, which is very flattering. Thank you so much to whoever voted and left that comment. I shared that with Jonathan Smith, who co-hosted our last episode with me, and he said that if we encouraged at least one person to see Rashomon, then everything was worth it. So, Thank you so much to that voter who left that comment. That's not only very encouraging to us, but uh, we hope you get to see Rashomon soon. And uh, we hope to hear what you think of it. So shoot us an email or a tweet, a post on Instagram, whatever. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Ryan, how about this voter for Life of Pi? What did they have to say?
1: They have an in- interesting take. They on uh, to they talk about, they say Life of Pi is a whole different movie when you watch it as if Pi is God trying to help train or save the tiger and getting frustrated with himself, and then feeling underappreciated by by Richard Parker. Uh, and then he also mentions that Richard Parker is just kind of one of those every human, John Smith, Adam Smith uh, type of names to where Richard Parker really could be inserted with anybody. You know, the the Joe Schmo. Um, what is, the, what is the deceased person's name? The John Doe? Yeah, John Doe, Jane John Doe. Doe. Just the, the everyman. John Tiger. Yeah, John Tiger. <laughs>
0: I thought that was a really cool take. I'd never thought about that. So thanks so much to that listener for commenting. Uh, so there you have it. Rashomon and Life of Pi movies everyone must now officially see. That poll is now unfortunately closed. Those results are locked in. But with a new episode comes a new poll and new chances to immortalize two more movies into the pantheon of must-see movies. So make sure to go to cinemas.com, find the post for this episode, it's episode 11, and give us your thoughts on the must-see status of the two movies we're about to talk about. Uh, speaking of which, Ryan, you're our operations chief this episode, and as such, you have chosen the movies we're talking about. Can you tell the listeners what they are and why you picked them?
1: Sure. So the, the movie that I mentioned previously, the, the franchise of films that I watched all growing up, that really just got me juiced as a kid, just wanted to go up and beat some people up, was the Bourne Trilogy. <laughs> And especially the, the cap of that trilogy, which is the Born Ultimatum, which is, I think, widely regarded as the best one of the, the trilogy and has uh, some, some really great contained um, action sequences that I think really set the bar. Um, and we're going to pair that with a little bit of an older movie from 1947, actually an Irish movie called Odd Man Out, which uh, is similar in some aspects. I don't even want to say it's very similar in themes. We'll get into it. But uh, Odd Man Out is essentially an, an Irish film about a botched bank robbery performed by the unnamed in the movie, but the IRA yeah. of, of Ireland. So a very interesting movie that both have um, chase and police and, uh, and trying to get away and trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, so a very interesting pairing that I think leads to some good discussion.
0: Yeah, I'm always excited about like the, the recent movies everyone loves with kind of the older ones nobody's heard about. But yeah, fair warning—you'd never seen *Odd Man Out*, right?
1: I had never uh, heard of any Irish cinema, let alone <laughs> that of the 1947 think, version of Irish cinema. I
0: think it still is technically British cinema, too. Is it British cinema? I, I think so. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it either, so we kind of took a gamble on it. We thought that the the lone man on the run, like the net closing in, would uh, would be a strong tie. And it's after seeing the movie, it's not as strong as we maybe would have liked, but we proceeded. And I think there's some similarities. Yeah. Okay, well, let's do some general impressions for any first time listeners of the show. For this first section, we are going to do very basic spoiler free summary of the movies and our thoughts on them. We're going to give a plot summary and we are each going to vote both movies into one of those categories we just talked about with our poll results. So we will vote them a must, a Cinatrust, or a Cinebust. And we're going to give three reasons for why we voted the way we did. After that, we are going to move pretty quickly into spoiler territory to back up all those things we said with specific examples from the movies. So if you haven't seen either of these movies, uh, we'll give our recommendations, but we recommend everybody give them a shot so that you can form your own opinions. Go to the polls at cinemas.com and uh, give your vote. But uh, let's get into some general impressions. And since we do age before not age, (laughs) (laughs) let's go with odd man out. Uh, which you, which you summarized pretty nicely, actually. Odd Man Out stars James Mason as Johnny McQueen, who is the chief of uh, the IRA. It's called the organization, but it's the IRA. Who, who is running a bank robbery in the beginning of the movie that goes south. He's wounded. He is left for dead by his comrades. So the rest of the, the, rest of the movie is just Johnny McQueen and the no-good, rotten, horrible, low-down, terrible knight. <laughs> as he uh, slowly sinks deeper into isolation and madness and a little closer to death while he is searched for by both the police and his friends and the love of his life, Kathleen. So, Ryan, I'm, I'm super psyched because we'd never seen this movie. This is a bit more of a raw uh, reaction than we usually get on the show. Usually we're tackling movies we'd seen before. Uh, what'd you think of Odd Man Out? How do you vote it?
1: So I'm voting it as a... a cine- It's in a bust. I think you can convince me otherwise, but I do have some. I think one primary issue that really prevents me from even recommending even to a select group of people. I don't think it's a bad movie at all. I think it's a really well executed, not entirely a noir film. It doesn't. I don't think checks all the boxes in a typical noir film that we would that you would point to. But I think it has enough of those elements that really makes it interesting with the beautiful lighting. It is black and white, so the monochrome and the shadows and the light that comes through and how they use it. It's mostly filmed at night. I think makes it a really beautiful film, and one that I think is worth watching on that front uh, alone. The The story, I think, is not as accessible as you, I think you would like it to be, to be from a 40s movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it does some interesting things, but ultimately, the movie goes in directions and in places where... I mean, right. So when this movie came out, on the cover of the 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 movie, it was it was billed as one of the most was it, intense movies of the, all time.
0: The most exciting picture ever made, I think, is what the poster says.
1: Right. So I I, I want to equate that to uh, a <laughs> uh, war for the Planet of the Apes. This is the war for the Planet of the Apes, and it's mostly a war of opinion and thought. It's not very much <laughs> actual battle. Um. So the most exciting film ever made. Uh, uh. No. It it's not.
0: But how could they say this? King Kong had been out for ten years.
1: Yeah. But I think I think the biggest indictment of this film is that I think the portions of this movie that would make it to excel or um, become larger than what it really is, I think most of that is lost to time. Because I think in order to truly understand some of the interesting portions of this movie, I think you really have to understand the post-war Irish IRA and the the post-war feelings towards the the government and the police force, and I think a lot of that is just lost to time and lost to culture and it isn't something that a lot of people are really familiar with. So I think there's some portions of this movie that are really interesting and fascinating but you just have to research before or after to really, I think, get the full extent of what this movie is going for. So because yeah. of that, as of right now, I'm doing a bust because I don't know anybody that is so enthralled with the IRA and post-World War II European <laughs> what's going on. So I can, off the top of my head, I know at least one person who would really love this. I think it's a really niche group that really appreciate this film.
0: Um, I I follow along similar lines. I'm voting it Cinetrust though. There there are a couple of people I would recommend this movie to. I think I would recommend this to like hardcore film buffs, people who want to expand uh, the movie knowledge of noir or post-war cinema and things like that, and even people who enjoy reading movies, kind of like literature, where it's less about like the surface structure of plot and it's more about like what does this mean? What are they saying with, like, this isolated episode that doesn't flow in and of itself, but is, like, really good to look at? It's kind of like Blade Runner, in my opinion. But, man, you you just nailed, like, kind of something I've been scrambling to articulate that I feel like you can only appreciate this movie after you've, like, done the research because I enjoyed it uh, after I'd watched it, but... It really only bumped up from Cinebus to Cine Trust for me when I watched some of the documentaries on the Criterion Collection Blu-ray that they put out of it, where there are history experts and people who are kind of picking it apart. Yeah, it's one that I think you kind of need your homework for to, to really love, which is not always the funnest thing to do with movies. But the, the three reasons I would vote a, a Trust is one, Uh, I think it's a really cool, a very artistic British film noir. And there's not that many British film noirs. That's a genre Americans kind of cornered the market on. So I think it's a pretty capable entry into the genre. Uh, Two, I think it's a movie that in a lot of ways feels like a piece of classical literature. There's things about it that give you the feeling like you're reading something by Charles Dickens or Victor Hugo or even Dostoevsky. But, uh, thirdly though like my reason it's a trust and not a must is similar to what you were saying I think the plot and the pacing are secondary to the artistic expression and I think it's a, a big turnoff for casual viewers this is a two-hour movie that I think feels uh, at least a half an hour longer than that because it just doesn't go where you expect it to go off of like the first 20 minutes that's the bank heist but I st- I still really like it I think there's a lot to admire there's there's a pretty solid group of people I would recommend it to but I don't think it's a movie for everybody so that's odd man out uh how about Born Ultimatum Ryan what is the Born Ultimatum about
1: so the Born Ultimatum is the series cap of the the Born franchise so in this film we finally get to learn um Jason Bourne's origin and how he got into the program and and ultimately we finish off his, his journey um definitely not not a contained story but Still, one that is excellent in its execution of its of its action sequences and some of the ideas that they've they've carried throughout the entire the entire franchise. I've gone ahead and easily given this uh, a cinema must, with a few reservations. Um, is it a cinema must just to go straight to the Bourne Ultimatum and watch Bourne Ultimatum? It's not a contained story. I, that's not going to work. For if you haven't seen the the franchise of the trilogy, you really have to go back and watch all of them to get the the most. Out of the born ultimatum even I only watched the born ultimatum to prepare for this episode didn't even i didn't watch identity or supremacy to to prepare and even then i i still um I think I missed some of the some of the uh the plot points that really are hammered in the previous two movies
0: interesting so so
1: as far as as far as so it, I did give it a must, but that's on the condition that you've seen all of them like this this really is a, a franchise that builds upon itself but th- some of the other reasons why i Decided to give it a cinema must is just the the action sequences. There's one in particular that happens towards the beginning of the film, which I think is just one of the most tense and unrelenting spy action chase thriller scenes. It probably lasts I don't know eight, nine, ten minutes yeah, good 10 in, minute in, in the running total of, of when we're introduced and when it, this scene finally comes to fruition. Everything about this scene I think is is so perfectly done and is so tense. And um, th- this scene, and we'll talk about it when we get into spoilers has stuck with me. And I've, since I've seen this movie initially, when it came out, in I think 2007, I've always remembered this scene as one of my favorite action scenes of all time. So so this particular scene, um, along with others in the film is just, is amazing. Uh, Also the score. um, I don't think the score is one that I think of just off the top of my head. um, But when I watch these movies and I get that score refreshed in my mind, it's one that sticks with me for a while. And it's, uh, it's one that really captures the essence of the film, which I think is, the primary thing that a good score really should do uh, with its movies. And then I do think that Jason Bourne is a compelling character. And some of the decisions made by those who decide to help him are also very interesting. And I think overall, just a, a really good film. What do you think about the Bourne ultimatum?
0: Man. So, uh, I was a little torn between trust and bust, but I I'm voting the Bourne ultimatum a sin of bust, which is bust, which is once again, not to say, I don't think it's a bad movie. Uh, I think it's really well made, but, um, I just I'm a non-believer. I've never really gotten on board the Jason Bourne fan train. Uh, it just doesn't speak to me for some reason. Uh, so I don't know that I'd really recommend it to anybody. I think there's a lot of other action franchises from this decade alone that I think are are more solid. But the the reasons I vote that way, I will give the movie credit. I think uh, the action sequences are very well executed, and I like that. You know, kind of the franchise's thing is making these action sequences sort of a chess game, that it's not about being tougher than the other guy, it's about being two steps ahead of him. Uh, and this movie probably does this better than any of the others in the trilogy. But but in terms of like knocking it down, uh I I think it has a pretty uninteresting plot and characters. I'm super excited to talk in spoilers about the character of Jason Bourne because I don't I don't really get into his his journey throughout this trilogy. He's not he doesn't really do it for me. Thirdly, I think it has cinematography that's effective, but I don't think it's dated well. uh this is the movie that I think really popularized the the shaky cam like fast cuts and editing, and I think it works really well like other movies have done this, and the fights and everything are completely incomprehensible. Born ultimatum is comprehensible. You can follow it, but uh, you know, ten years removed, it just it doesn't wow me, and I feel that that was a big part of what made it famous back in the day but We'll have to talk about the Bourne Ultimatum's legacy and spoilers. I don't want to give too much away. So there you have it. It's a a mixed bag today. We've got one Cinemust. That's Ryan for Bourne Ultimatum. And the rest we have trusts and busts. So uh, we're going to move into spoilers now to hash that out. See if we can maybe change each other's minds. But if you haven't seen these movies, you might want to stop here. We're going to go into spoilers. Uh, If you don't care about that, please proceed. So everybody make sure to go to cinema.s.com, click on the episode 11 post so that you can vote on the must-see status of both these movies. But uh, let's move into spoilers for Odd Man Out. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of
1: angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains
0: and have not charity, I am nothing. Okay, so Odd Man Out. This is a movie we have, it sounds like we both have admiration for it, but not all out love. It's kind of one of those those thinking movies that doesn't quite reach your heart uh, as well as it might want to. I was really interested in the general impressions. You said that there was there was one issue that prevented you From voting it a a sin of trust uh what what's the issue
1: so i really think that the the movie it falters because a lot of that is lost to time so um this is an older movie and i feel like in the older movies exposition they really lean on it and in this movie in particular you really have to lean on the exposition because when you hear about the organization and um and johnny mcqueen he just got out of jail so we really don't get a, a big introduction to his character and even more than that, we don't really get an introduction to what the organization really even is. So at the start of the bat, you already feel like you're missing out on something. Why was he in jail? What was he doing? And even when you read the back of the, the DVD cover, it says that he um, is, the, is the party leader, the organization leader. And if you don't immediately clue into the IRA and have this uh, treasure trove of, of useful information about what the IRA was doing at this time, then it's really hard to kind of put yourself in with these characters. you understand that they're about to go rob a payroll safe in order to fund their the organization's activities but then again uh, again, if you aren't clued into those activities, it's kind of difficult to jump into them jump into it with them and be completely on their side because again, you don't really have an access point into the world where they're where they're at right now, right,
0: and it's almost. It's like you're saying it's it's based on real life history, but the movie almost takes place in like a dream world because everything is very vague it's not the i r a it's the organization it's like this general freedom fighter, you know, slap any name you want on it, and then the city isn't even named like everybody who's written a review on it has said like it's obviously Belfast, but in the movie they never say that, and so it's kind of shot to be like this any like european post war city and it even it's even driven home by the fact that people have different accents. Like some people have an Irish accent. Some people are so posh British. It's really <laughs> weird. This is interesting because all that stuff you just said plays into this game that the movie plays that it admits to from the very start. It, it opens with like this scroll that says that the movie is not interested in the play between an illegal criminal organization and the law. It is more concerned with like the ethical dilemma of people who become unwittingly involved in the struggle and i wonder if that's like to the movie's credit because i'm kind of on board with what you're saying because we we get like little bits of exposition like the police chief when he is raiding the house that the guys have been staying in and he's shaking down the grandma and kathleen he's saying like you know we're not mad at him because he took a shot at us or bombed uh pol- or blew the windows out of a police barracks with explosives and stuff so you know there's there's like some violence that's happened in the past, and Johnny soliloquy soliloquizes about it in the beginning when he just says like, "Wouldn't it be great if we could take our cause up in Parliament?" And he's kind of done of the the backstreets fighting, but like you're saying, at the same time, in trying to be like a completely non political movie, it seems like this is a pretty politically heavy movie because it comes right after the war and it's speaking about these issues where there's still you know, backstreet violence and revolutions and Europe is just torn apart and there's all these shots of them hanging out in rubble. So it's like, I don't really get what the movie's trying to go for in saying like we're not a political thing. We're we're talking about the human experience when the scenario is so tied to that particular experience and that particular kind of combat.
1: And we can even we can even give the film a benefit of the doubt, right? So even if we focus on the ethical dilemma of the people put in the situation. So let's just look at Johnny as a character. I don't know that even in his story arc and what he goes through in this really long night from hell, I don't think that he really even has that much of an arc. So when they're planning the bank and he's talking to Kathleen, he's and to Kathleen and to uh, Dennis, he's essentially saying, I went to prison. I had a lot of time to think. And really, I don't know if I really can even do this anymore. Um, and he, he says in the outright that I'm going because I'm the chief of this organization. I'm going because I'm supposed to. Dennis, I know you want to go in my stead, but I'm going to go. He's not right. He's not in the, the mental framework to go out into public as he's been in uh, isolation for the last, so he was in prison and he's been in the safe house for six months. And this is the first time going out back into the world. And really, he says everything before the heist goes wrong that he gets to at the end of the movie with his big soliloquy with the, with the verse from 1 Corinthians. He, he was done with the violence, he was done with the revolution, and he wanted to do things differently at the end. We, he goes through a crazy night, and then we learn that he still wants to do that. So even his arc with the ethical dilemma, he was, if he wasn't all the way there, he was pretty close at the start of the film.
0: Right. He's a really passive character, which is... This was the movie that made James Mason like a superstar, but he, you know, he kind of sleeps through half the movie. Like there's, there's entire chunks that they leave him just to sleep in like a wheelbarrow in the graveyard and it becomes about everybody else. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of those things that you and I both kind of knock against it, that the, the pacing and stuff just doesn't age well. And yeah, for, for a guy that is supposedly like the emotional crux of your movie, you're right. He's kind of, He's kinda of there already at the beginning of the movie and the it, it even shows like how ill suited he is for the, the quote unquote like childish things like the bank robbery because it's the second he steps out, everything the camera is like tilting like crazy and the, the strings on the score are going nuts to prove that like sunlight is too much for him because right. he hasn't been out in so long it's again like it's trying not to be a political movie but it's it's also so blatantly making that commentary on how childish this kind of warfare is that it's not getting anybody anywhere and i think it's always reinforced because kids play a huge part in like the first half of the movie there's constantly like mobs of orphans that are either fighting or just destitute and i thought it was kind of cool to see it make that shift because i kind of read that at first like it was just calling us out for our accountability to the younger generation that we've we've fought world war ii and we've left them in the rubble now we need to build it up but it kind of shifts more towards you know the kids are not so innocent they are exemplifying like the worst traits of this organization because they want to pick fights with the cops
1: right and even all throughout this movie everyone so the so the bank heist goes badly and someone tries to confront Johnny on the steps outside of the bank. And he ends up shooting and killing this man on the stairs of the bank, which they tried to rob. Um, and all throughout the movie, everyone is on Johnny's side. So I don't know how this movie doesn't want to take political sides when everybody's on Johnny's sides. Nobody wants to get wrapped up in the situation. Right. But am I going to turn him in? No. Am I going to take him to the hospital? No. Johnny, you just got to go. And even at one point, he, he's put into the back of a... Uh, a horse drawn carriage. And the, the driver says, I'm not for you. I'm not against you. You just, you got to go. So, I mean, even in reality, they don't want to be political, even on the ethical side, he's already really there. There's not a big journey. And even back to the political side, it is a political statement because everybody is on Johnny's sides. Nobody is trusting of the police and the police are the, the primary, they make him into the antagonist. And uh, it, it's interesting because it, it, it does take sides.
0: Do you think the movie condemns those characters that don't, that just kind of like give him a drink and send him on his way and don't want to be involved?
1: I don't, I don't think so. Unless you can think of a specific one where they really do that. So a a few people take him in, one of which are two sisters or two friends or
0: former, former nurses, former
1: nurses. They patch him up. Hey, this is, this is the guy from the news. The husband comes home and says, Hey, he's got to go. And then he's just gone. And there's no really moral indictment on whether that was right or wrong. And, It just kind of, it just kind of happens.
0: That's one of the things I like about it in terms of this idea of film noir, that there's, there's a lot of moral ambiguity to it. And, and you're right that, that everybody like isn't on a side, but also is, I like that they always call attention to the fact that nobody is quote unquote thinking of the money. And sometimes they mean it literally and other times they're like, oh yeah, sure. He's not thinking of the money, but you know, at the same time, my favorite line in the movie comes from that cab driver when he drops him off in the wheelbarrow. And he says, if your friends find you, you tell them that Jin Jimmy took care of you. If the police find you, you don't mention my name at all. And I think that line is so good and sums up kind of what the movie is trying to say about taking sides, because I think it's saying like it's not easy, but I think you're also supposed to feel crummy. Like if you would be one of those people that couldn't just flat out say like, I'm going to help him or I'm going to turn him in. So what do you think of the side characters in this movie, though? Okay,
1: so I I don't, and this goes back to just as out of time. So, the painter,
0: Lukey Deer.
1: is a <laughs> is a famous actor, right? I think so. Um, I think so. I don't know. So when I did my research, it said that it was a cameo. His character was a cameo, and he was like this big actor, and he was you know in this weird role that he he usually wouldn't do.
0: Mm-hmm. This is Robert
1: Newton. Newton, yeah, Robert Newton. He's he has billing on the on the front of the on the movie posters yeah. uh interesting and what is it, is it stew or stim shell shell uh is interesting and i, th- I think the whole ending of the film when i watched it, i was just kind of like i don't understand what's happening right Rubbing now. You the wrong way yeah i just uh, wow i guess i really had a lot more negative thoughts about this film than i than i thought i did <laughs> but uh <laughs> and what you're talking about with the moral ambiguity i think that plays into the idea that you don't you don't understand, or at least I didn't understand kind of what the character's main motivation was because uh, yeah. Shell was motivated. He wanted the father, Tom, I believe. Like, so well, what are you going to give me? He's like, well, you know, I can give you Faith. He's like, well, will Faith give me stout at the end of the... What's, at the, the, end? what's, the, what's the value in hard cash? Right, exactly. But then he doesn't end up turning him in. It's just, it's, It's very interesting, yeah. very weird.
0: Yeah, to me, like the second half of the movie becomes shell's story right and he becomes more of a protagonist than johnny ever was because yeah like we're talking about with plot structure johnny's just passive he kind of just gets passed around person to person and his goal is like don't die so the movie plays this game where he keeps like getting on the move like he patches himself up well enough and he's trying to get back to kathleen and so on on the surface the movie is trying to make you tense and ask yourself like is Johnny gonna make it but I also feel like halfway through just the overall atmosphere and everything that the cinematography and the music and the performances have been building up to is like after the first hour you just know he's not gonna make it like it it becomes a non-question like you know he's not making it to the movie or the end of the movie alive so the question I guess just becomes like well is he gonna see Kathleen before he dies right and it's a less interesting question because the, the, it becomes the so much more about the arguments that these characters right. have about if they're going to turn him in or not.
1: And the, rela- the relationship between Kathleen and him, because of the brief uh, introduction to it at the beginning, it's not very compelling. Because y- you have her quest, which is interesting. Uh, and I think I think the grandma made a <laughs> the grandma was like, "Yeah, uh, I didn't go after my guy." <laughs> yeah,
0: that's such <laughs> a good speech.
1: He's gone. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good speech.
0: And again, maybe that feeds into the moral ambiguity because you know Johnny is so about the cause, right? And the cause right. is super vague. It's just you know. Let's, let, the movie doesn't like play too much into their terrorist aspects, but right. it's trying to make them noble, but you know, Granny's saying like you know there's always there's always someone picking a fight, there's always someone out there in the night, and I don't think it's worth it to go after him because there's just always going to be another one tomorrow right. She's so good, the grandma. I love the idea of a grandma <laughs> that houses a bunch of freedom fighters.
1: Yeah, they won't search me. I'll take the gun <laughs> <laughs> slides it up her sleeve. That's really funny. Um, yeah, and so even when Kathleen and Johnny meet back up at the end, um, cool, yeah, I, I, you know, like right, like uh, so melodramatic, like, right?
0: Reach out your hand right. for me,
1: exactly. If you're, if you're, if you're really there, I don't know. Just so interesting, and be, and because of so much as the exposition at the beginning of the film was well, Johnny, you just got out of prison, and well, you've been here in the safe house, and you're our leader, and we need you. And then nothing in the film points to him being this stalwart. I rose to the ranks of this rebel organization and I am now the chief and everybody plays into, into my plans and my details. And this is, this is how we're going to do things. And then he spends the film film with a gunshot. And I don't know, just like like a character that you think would be the chief of a, you, you would have thought he'd taken a bullet before. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe that's, you know, asking too much of someone. Clearly I've never been shot, so I don't know (laughs) exactly uh, how that would be, but, um, you. I just wanted more from from Johnny because he's. Oh, it's Johnny! Like the, everyone knows him on site. Like, oh, this is Johnny. It's Johnny. It's Johnny. He's a but Johnny just he just bumbles around, and Dennis buys him a few more extra hours, and then um everybody else just buys him a few extra hours until eventually it's over. So it's pretty, yeah, it's hard. I think it's really hard to get behind Johnny.
0: Yeah, it's pretty nihilistic in that sense that you know your your living legend is is always just shown to be kind of incapable of the job that he has supposedly been good at up until this point because of you know those disorienting shots we talked about on their way to the robbery and then like he's not even counting the money right when he's taking it out of the safe like he's taking too long everybody's upset with him
1: i mean these these movies are not even
0: jump into a car window right not moving
1: (laughs) these two movies are not anything alike but you think about um edward norton's arc in american history x where he goes into prison. He befriends a, a, a black man and then opens his eyes towards racial prejudice. He gets out of prison and then actively goes and tries to change what he himself has done. Where we don't get anything like that from Johnny. He goes into prison and then he changes and then he still goes through with the mission, gets shot, and then bumbles through the rest of the movie. There, there's no, I think, satisfying arc to where we see this changed person. Really, and he, even the dream sequences where he has where he's talking to the guard, he's not learning anything. He's like, "Oh, I just had a dream that this happened." And he, it's, he, he doesn't even learn it. anything in those in those sequences.
0: He's summarizing everything you just watch him do.
1: Right. So, and and that that's that one of the things that really made me think in the movie was when he's he's confessing to this, confessing to this you know guard that turns out to be this little girl. So I'm like, okay, well definitely this is going to be an issue. And then it's not an issue. The little girl's like, "Yeah, he's over there." And then like, that's. You know, he just confessed to everything that he did and not even an innocent little girl would go tell anybody and it has no bearing on, on the plot other than Dennis finding him, which and Dennis is just billed as his major character in the beginning of the movie. Then he's just carted off and yeah. old Dennis is done.
0: I mean, he goes out with a fight, like props to yeah, Dennis. He, he does. He, he does. Leads that, the is, that is on a, good, Mary uh, a good
1: chase sequence.
0: Yeah. I like that a lot. That's yeah. Man, I feel I feel bad. I feel like I'm crapping on this movie cuz there's really a lot I admire. I admire like that moral ambiguity. It's just uh again, like all the all this stuff is so secondary to just what it's trying to artistically express like episode to episode. And so to me like the movie's not it's exciting enough for that first half that's like the setup with the bank robbery, but it really only starts to settle into itself once he's like meets the nurses and then he like goes to the pub and he meets right. Shell and Luki and uh Tarban is that the doctor's name? Tober. Tober is the doctor's name. Um, and I want to talk about these three guys, because this was a point I made. This is something I actually admire about the movie as I said that it feels like a piece of classic literature. And I think that's really hard to do because I feel like old movies feel like old movies. And I think that's a great thing. I love like that hiss on the soundtrack and stuff like there's something about that that just gets me so excited, but they always have that feel of Like you're saying, the tight exposition, the, the square aspect ratio, the grouping shots. And I like that eventually when we get to the point where we meet Shell and Luki and Tober, I love how like everything stops cold. And to me, that's like the one moment in the movie where that happens and it actually works. There's other moments where the movie stops and I'm just like, why are we going this direction, guys? But I love this, this conflict that they have because you have Shell in the middle, who kind of becomes the story's protagonist. And you have Tober, who is concerned with Johnny's body. He's a failed medical student. He wants to heal him. And then there's Robert Newton as Lukey, who is this crazy artist who is obsessed with getting a hold of Johnny so he can paint, like, the death throes in his eyes.
1: They don't show the painting. No. That part was so frustrating to me.
0: Yeah, because you can't. How do you? How do you like build it up to be like all of human experience and right, the divide right. guess, between so. life and death? No, it's but I mean, at
1: least give me at least give me a, a glimpse. I don't know something. I, I was just, like, they're going to show it to me, right? Like they're going to show it's going to be like some like big indictment on the human condition, and there was nothing. It, it, yeah, 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 but <laughs> it I, didn't happen.
0: I, I like that. I've heard some people critique Robert Newton's performance as just being so campy and over the top, but right. I think it's like a wake up call at that point in the movie because. All the performances are good, but after a while, because of the passive nature of Johnny, you're kind of just like, how are we only at the hour 15 minute mark? And that debate with like, Lukey just being so insane and crazy about getting his hands on Johnny for a painting brings back this idea that everybody wants Johnny for their own reasons. And I think from there, the motivations for all these side characters become a lot more interesting because there's not just Lukey and Tober. I think Father Tom has a really interesting motivation and it's it's weird looking at it today because it it almost has like a sinister air but I don't think it's meant that way. He just says he wants he wants Johnny because he wants to read the last rites over him and to comfort him. And it's kind of weird to say like you want a human being so you can comfort him, but there's also like some kind of tenderness in Father Tom that he he kind of he knows this guy has had a rough life, he's constantly been fighting, so he wants his last moments to be peaceful, which is an idea that comes up again and again. The nurses say they're not a big fan of the organization, but the state Johnny's in, they don't see any good in not giving him some peace in his final hours. But again, it's, how is this trying to say it's not a political movie?
1: Right, exactly. So I, I don't think I've said too much positive about it. So I really do, I do like the noir aspect, the filming, the black and white, the shadows, and how how it's sold. I especially like how the, the heist planning scenes are shot because it really does look like a renaissance painting the staging of the characters, right? There's not a lot of tracking shots or movement with the camera. So they had to figure out ways they could get everybody in one frame and make it an interesting, compelling discussion. And I think they really did that really well to where those discussion scenes, everybody is staging, it's just so, it's so pretty and it looks, like those, it looks like a painting, how it would be staged, but just the people are, are talking. So I do really think that was a really strong part of the film that I thought was interesting and compelling.
0: The art of composing like that square aspect ratio is kind of lost. It was really cool when Wes Anderson fiddled with it in Grand Budapest Hotel, but that's that's one of these things. Like I'm saying, I love old movies for is is people who work with the limitations of right. that frame. And and Carol Reed, who's the director, did a really good job. And he's this is also the first of um kind of like a noir, a post-war noir trilogy that he did. He's he's most famous for directing The Third Man, which is an Orson Welles movie in war post-war Vienna um that is the third movie in this trilogy and in the middle there's a movie called The Fallen Idol and I think this is a pretty good intro to the kind of ideas that he lays out in The Third Man it's it's like the the outsider of society kind of trying to navigate through the shambles of this city that is is very much alive that's that's one thing I think that is interesting about Odd Man Out as well is that I think when we th- we say the word post-World War II we think a lot of just the rubble, like all the aftermath of the bombings and the fighting and odd man out definitely has that. He, the first place Johnny goes after he's shot is an air raid shelter. Right. But I also like that as the night progresses, it shows that the city is really alive. Like the buses are packed. The taverns are full. There's people hustling around the streets. I like that. It's showing that life didn't stop, that people are kind of trying to pick up the pieces and build where they can. And Johnny's I haven't quite wrapped my mind around how the filmmakers are trying to make Johnny's experience echo, you know, everybody else's. Cause they say a lot of things that when they're, when people are going through the police nets, they're like, what's going on? And they said, low well, guys trying to get out of the city. And they're like, I don't blame him. I've been trying to get out for four years now or <laughs> whatever. So there's like little hints like that. But again, because Johnny is, is so passive that specific experience, like you're saying that post-war experience, just kind of seems secondary to the grand like first corinthians messages on having charity and like loving each other unconditionally It, it just it's a it's a bunch of different things and i admire the movie for trying to tackle it and for going into a place we don't expect but it doesn't thread itself together well enough for me to like really get the message
1: in a bust. Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> I, I, I,
1: I, I just think there's too much that, that's in this movie that, and not that researching for a movie is bad, but I think, I, I think that what they were going for, they, on a technical level, they did really well <clears throat> with the lighting and the cinematography, but some of the story aspects and just some of the things that happened in the film, I think just don't quite do it for me. And I, I think that a film, a film buff who really likes film and wants to get into the post-war and in these, these movies. I think there's other movies on the list that would come before this one enough. Sure. So that I think I would, I would go ahead and, and recommend it as a Cinebust.
0: I'll I'm keeping it in cine trust. I still, there's a lot I admire about the movie. I think uh, this is a movie that repeat viewings would do a lot for you. So I look forward to checking it out in the future, but yeah, for right now, cine trust. I think film buffs will get a lot out of this, but it's a long movie for, if you're just trying to take in a movie on a Friday night, you have any other thoughts on Odd Man Out?
1: No, I think that's uh, just about
0: it. All right, let's get a little more exciting. Let's go to Born Ultimatum.
1: You didn't actually think I was coming to Tudor City, did you? No, I guess not. But if it's me you want to talk to, perhaps we can arrange a meet. Where are you now? I'm sitting in my office.
0: I doubt that. And why would you doubt that? If you were in your office right now, we'd be having this conversation face-to-face.
1: So, so, Mike, you're telling me that a fast-paced action thriller with the Matt Damon isn't your thing?
0: The great Matt Damon.
1: <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: it's. I guess what I have to say is that it's, it's not not my thing. I don't hate this movie. I think the movie's well-made, but I just remember when Born Ultimatum came out. And it was the biggest thing. I worked at Best Buy the Christmas this was released, and it just sold out constantly. So it was like the biggest movie of the year. I think Empire Magazine even voted it like the best movie of the year. But I've never really understood the allure of of the Born series. I get like what they're what they're trying to do, how they're introducing kind of a more grounded intelligence based kind of spy movie. But to me, I never find it that interesting. And I don't think that the character, I I think the character of Jason Bourne, like he's not awful, but he's kind of a blank slate. So by the time you get to Bourne Ultimatum, you said that you have to watch all three of these movies like in sequence that Ultimatum is not meant to be self-contained. I totally think it is because it repeats the same kind of tropes that we expect from a Bourne movie there's all these different sequences that every one of them has plus so many of the CIA characters in this movie like actively tell you the plot of right. the last two movies like there's there's a part in the opening where Scott Glenn, who's in like three <laughs> scenes of this movie is just like here's what happened last time on the Bourne supremacy <laughs> in case you missed it and then it's it's the same thing it's like he he's after something. It doesn't matter what he's going to, he's going to get in a fight with one of the other operatives. There's going to be a car chase. He's going to get the upper hand of the CIA. Oh, but and, it's so
1: good So that, yeah, so, that happens, but it's just so good.
0: Yeah. So, so I'm not trying to crap all over the movie. Like there's, there's so much worse action movies than this. There's so much worse spy movies than this, but I guess what I'm asking in this section is, is make a believer out of me. Help me see like what I'm missing.
1: Sure, so, so to your point with, I think there's so many people who are giving you a uh, last week on, on the Born trilogy in the beginning of this movie. It's because I think that the structure of the overarching story warrants it. So the, so identity is more of a introduction into Bourne, he doesn't know who he is, he's got to find out what's going on and how come he can do the things he can do, right? So the Born supremacy mostly deals with his um, guilt and shame for having executed the one hit that he does remember. So we take an off path, an offshoot into that story in Supremacy. So in Ultimatum, we come back into the greater story and we're not dealing so much with, I'm ashamed that this was something that I did. And we come back into where am I and how did I get back into my origin, which I think is the more interesting portion of the movie. The, the first one opens up with such an interesting thing where he's at sea, he's picked up, who am I? What just happened? Like there's blood, like what is going on? And I think that the redemptive, I need to talk to this man's daughter and apologize. I think that's, that's nice, but I think that's not the, that's not the, the best part of why we come to the Born franchise. So I think that's why there's so much exposition and kind of uh, Hey, this is what's going on. Cause I think we have to replug back into, into what has been happening.
0: I guess, I guess that's my disconnect though, is what you just said. That's not why we come to the Born franchise. We come, for the quick action, the fighting, the staying three steps ahead of everybody. So the the plot like is always just filler. And to me it causes Jason Bourne to be an uninteresting character because we we see that he's he's guilty but he's just way too good at that default mode where he's just stone-faced, I'm the job, I'm the objective. Let's do this. I don't think this trilogy balances out like his his human reawakening like deprogramming from the treadstone program with how good he is at being a treadstone agent.
1: Right. Well and and I think that the beginning of this movie they try to reintroduce you to it with what his headspace is. So we have that big the the continuation of the Moscow sequence from supremacy and it culminates with these guards they have him trapped. He takes one out and he has a gun pointed directly at another guard. Um, and he says I don't shoot. I'm unarmed and he says my fight is not with you. And then he leaves him and he goes. And I think that kind of just reintroduces reintrodu- you to his headspace. Like, I'm not this machine-like killer that's doing this to stay alive. I'm doing this to get to a means. I'm getting, doing this to take down the program that did this to me. And ultimately, at the end of the movie, we find that he, in, in, a, in a sense, did it to himself. But at that point, he's trying to find who did this to me. And they are the people I have my quarrel with. That he really isn't this Stone Cold Killer. He maybe he was when he understood who he was before the events of this franchise happens. But now with everything that's happened and the, the awakening that he's had, that's not who he is anymore. And I don't know that that's ever who he was to begin with. Even then, even right, before right. this franchise, maybe he wouldn't have killed that that guy.
0: And that's that's also kind of my stumbling block in terms of seeing this as a good uh, capper to the trilogy because I think that the movie really wants to sell that moment at the end where he's back at the training facility where you know, Jason Bourne was made and he, he says, I'm not Jason Bourne anymore, but
1: he spent the last three movies, Jason Bourne. Well, and not even that, <laughs> he then spends the next
0: five minutes, like fighting his way out. And then he has like the line. I, I do like this moment that the other agent stops at him and says like, why didn't you take the shot? That kind of like what you're saying, not, not just being like the gun that has his trigger pulled by thinking about like why why is it that they want me to kill this person? I think it's a good idea, but it's so hamfisted. All this stuff is like the last 15 minutes of the movie and the rest of the stuff, the stuff everyone loves, the, the train terminal chase, which is amazing. I'll totally admit to that. The the window hopping in Tangiers, all that stuff is just like, we, we love Jason Bourne just because he's a badass robot. We don't care about Jason Bourne with his ethical dilemmas or his guilt. And I... This is where I, I lose a lot of credibility because this is the extent of my born knowledge. I haven't seen legacy and I haven't seen Jason Bourne. Well, I, I
1: have not seen, I have not seen legacy.
0: Have you seen Jason Bourne? I
1: have seen Jason Bourne. Yeah.
0: So is he just badass robot again in Jason Bourne? Uh,
1: yeah, essentially. I th- so I think so. so.
0: Why is the movie trying to sell <laughs> this thing that he's like, I'm not that guy anymore. Oh. We want him to be that guy. Um,
1: yeah, I I wouldn't take the, the events of Jason Bourne into too much of consideration when discussing the this movie. So I'm so Yeah, uh, I think Paul Greengrass he, he was reaching. He was definitely reaching, and and that one was the first story that deviated from, completely deviated from the source material. Um, so I wouldn't take that too Which heavily into account. I hear they do account. a lot, actually. Yeah, Bourne Supremacy is not. Um, I'm not entirely sure with Bourne Ultimatum, but Bourne Supremacy is not anything near years close. Yeah. So we're not going to have a discussion like odd man out of (laughs) all of these. uh, uh, What are the filmmakers trying to get across? I mean, yeah, it is. uh,
0: You, You said the connection wasn't super strong, but I'm seeing like polar opposites here that we, we kind of admire odd man out for the character expression, but it just isn't held together with a plot. And I feel like here we've got Bourne that's like tightly paced involving, but you know, what's it all mean? Maybe they have a better connection than we think maybe Sorry. well sidetrack
1: well, yeah well let, let me this is a this is a, a thought so 2006 is children of men 2007 awesome. is is born ultimatum was that is that right 2006 mm-hmm. right so i think this is why we look back on the born series kind of sour i think that this was a crossroads in action filmmaking where we have this long shot in children of men this one take shot that's beautiful and has all these amazing things in it Or even something like like The Revenant that came way afterwards. And I think we have the shaky cam, claustrophobic, quickly edited, fast-paced fight scenes versus these long takes that are still riveting but are technically more interesting. And I think we're at a crossroads with, well, what are we going to do? Which one are we going to take to? And I think we took to the shaky cam, uh, which we shouldn't have. And the long shots and stuff like that are the better... Action filmmaking—the one that's more interesting and more beautiful to watch—and um, I don't know—that's an, an indictment on the Bourne series and especially Ultimatum. But I think that's why we look back on it the way we do is because there's other things that are more interesting that we see more of right. in action filmmaking. Yeah,
0: like like meaning is made in the edits, and that was recognized. This movie won an Oscar for film editing. I think it also won for its sound mixing and sound editing. But yeah, I I, I think just the Bourne Ultimatum was maybe like that, that claustrophobic shaky cam revolution that just died out. I mentioned like it's effective. The cinematography isn't awful. It's comprehensible, but it just hasn't dated well because like what you're saying, we, this this is what Fred Astaire said about dancing in movies, right? That it needed to be a full body shot and it needed to be one take. So you knew that was the person do it. There was a theatricality. So, you know, doing this with action in things like, you know, maybe Mad Max Fury Road is like a a good middle ground because there's, there's quick cuts and everything in that, but there's still a lot of hands-on. We actually did this. And I think that's the problem is that if you take a close look at the editing in Born Ultimatum, like the editing is everything. Like that stuff is not that exciting without it. It kind of gives the illusion that things are happening faster and more furious than they really are. So I think Born Born Ultimatum almost makes us align more with the apparatus that we're more in with the technique, whereas something that plays out in a full body shot, like longer takes is investing you with character. And I think that's that's the shift we've made over the past decade is we are more about getting invested in character. David Sandu just wrote a really great review of A Quiet Place, which is a movie that's getting a lot of love, both for its technique and its character. But at the end, people are aligning like, yeah, it's really well-made and stuff, but I really care about those people. And I think, you know, Bourne just doesn't have people it has weapons the entire series is about the government making people into weapons that can be you know dispatched just as easily with a click of a button they don't ask questions they don't think they just target and do and there's something really chilling about that that's that's maybe the other thing you can you can help me with is this movie seems like it should have a lot more to say about the things it covers than it actually does because it's all very pertinent stuff there's there's NSA surveillance, there's this kind of, you know, Patriot Act, we can go after anyone that's labeled an enemy. But you know, what does it what does it say beyond like, these are things we do?
1: Well, I I think the Bourne franchise in in this movie, I think it's, it's more specifically contained to David Webb, Jason Bourne's journey I don't I don't I don't know that the filmmakers are really trying to say anything more outside of that and even Jason Bourne in his personal quest I think it's more of just how could you do this to a person and and we don't need people like this like we shouldn't this shouldn't be a thing that that is happening and I, and even Jason Bourne's character let alone the filmmakers I don't think he is so much interested in in those things right like cause he he's using the same tactics that they are using to hunt him to counter hunt them right, so he's not saying like, oh, well, I'm going to do this the old-fashioned way or, or something like that. You know, he's using the same tools and techniques that they are. So I I don't know that there's so much, and maybe there should be, but I don't think there really is.
0: Yeah, I I do give it credit, and I think all three movies have done this. That for for all of the the setup of the Treadstone program is like this elite assassination unit take out you know all threats. The enemy of all of these movies is the United States government. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, not the government at large but like the cia because there's there's even like all these these standoffs where thinking two moves ahead born will call like local police to cause like a ruckus so there's always a standoff between right. like the undercover agents right. and like the honest right. cops and so I, i'll always give it i'll give the movie credit that you know for for a movie about you know elite ops and what we do to take care of national security that the people who make those rules are perhaps the ones that need to be watched more closely than the, the people that are labeled enemies. But at the same point, that's, that's also a trope that starts to get so tiring because every one of these movies where there's a new head of the CIA, <laughs> right. it's like, well, he's the bad guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They do all run together. Uh, and it's, it is kind of hard to tell them apart when he's talking about, when he, when he mentions them by names, you're like, okay, which, which white balding, which balding white guy is he? Is he discussing? It's, I kind of I forget this point. Um, but I think you know, going back to a quiet place, a quiet place weaponizes sound. And I think whether you're in or you're out on the Bourne franchise, the Bourne franchise weaponizes millimeters. So everything in this in this film, and it, it, the best sequence, which is the the train sequence where he's trying to help this news reporter for the Guardian uh, get out of harm's way because they're coming for him.
0: He's recreating the scene from the Matrix where he's getting talked out of the office. Right. Right. Exactly. It exactly. Is, it is really good.
1: Yeah. Uh, this this is a, a great a great film. But all of all, everything in the the Bourne franchise and especially in Bourne Ultimatum, it comes down to do not deviate from your path. Mm-hmm. Or I need to jump through this window at this perfect time. Or he's taking the shot through these uh, changing billboard um, slots, and he has to hit it right at the same time. Or hey, I need that phone now. So they really weaponize the time and pace, and the movie is moving so fast, and the, all of the moments on screen matter so much that your heart rate it just it just has to it just goes, and, and I and I think someone could say well oh you know well, you know. Of course, Jason Bourne jumps to the window at the exact moment in time to stop the shot or to do this or do that. And that and that can be an issue. But I think if you just roll with it, I think as the action thriller it is, and you know, it may not be the most intellectual or or have the the best of everything, but I think for what it does and the, the claustrophobia and the the time limit that it places on all of its events, I think is is riveting. And when it does slow down and we go to the talking heads of the CIA, I think it, it, it may suffer here and there from that. But I think the action in the film is just is so good to where when he's fighting Desh in Tangiers um, and he
0: using everything in the room, right. So, so this
1: this tiny hand towel is the one thing between me getting barbershopped directly in the face <laughs> and me getting out of here alive like that. That just small incremental thing is, is something that is, is so interesting and is, is though it is edited a lot it is still something interesting and also when he's running on the i think on the rooftops and he grabs the shirt Well, why does he grab the shirt oh well to wrap his hands up because he sees that the fence has glass serrating the top of it so just things like that just like the 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 quick things that are so cool to watch though however if you're for against the editing it makes it such a riveting film
0: and i'm honestly not against the editing again it it is really effective, and it's really comprehensible. And like you're saying, it, it keeps the pace up, and it's helped by that score, which is one of your reasons for voting in a must. It's a pretty lively and moving piece of music.
1: And and I think when it when it comes in and the strings rise up, it's there and it's so uh, intense and in your face, and and it moves the story. And I think it, it drops down back into those scenes, and especially when they drop it during that dash scene when he pushes them up against the armoire. As such a such a good um, instance of dropping a score in a movie. To where you just hear like the raw just the clanking and the and the banging around of everything that's happening. I think it's a really effective way to show just like the claustrophobia of these fights and how contained in these little rooms they really are.
0: Yeah, it's a really brutal moment. Yeah, it's it's a really good fight. Like again, it's just the connective tissue around it. I I I would want to say like I see this as a good conclusion like it ends with him you know, quote unquote bringing down like the treadstone, but I also it also kind of bothers me how easy that is like this (laughs) this entire like elaborate network of elite assassins and everything was brought down by 20 pages on a fax machine right (laughs) which which i guess makes sense but it's like you sacrifice like those super cool moments for things that don't logically make sense which i think works better in a james bond movie where logic is not the prerogative but in something like born that seems to want to be a commentary on intelligence work in the u.s for him to fake out, like, the entire, like, 15th floor. <laughs> but it's but it's almost worth it, because how good is that moment? He says, uh, where are you? And he's like, I'm in my office. And he's like, I doubt it, because if you were, we'd be having this conversation face-to-face. Right. Taking the safe. Like, that's a cool moment. Like, I'll give it to him. But if Jason Bourne is, like, the best of the best, I would like less time being spent on, like, his, like, detective work and more on how... Did he infiltrate this top secret governments <laughs> building?
1: Sure. Uh well, I mean, oh, not to try to bring like logic into the situation, but I mean he he did know everything. He just forgot it all. So, you know, he just remembered. And then okay. he could just do the one <laughs> all the, thing. All the pin codes. The one yeah, back. exactly. He just <laughs> that was the moment he remembered. Everything uh, is just loose association.
0: <laughs> yeah. So he uh, slumdog millionaire his uh, way Exactly. I don't
1: I don't think that the connective tissue is bad enough to make the the brilliant action sequences, however um, dated or, or contrived that they may be now. I, I think I think the connective tissue is just good enough to where it's, it's passable to where the good parts still yield in a very positive Agreed. result.
0: Yeah, no, the those action sequences are so good. It does elevate the rest of the movie. Right. Like, it's not
1: like a John Wick where like the fighting subsides. And then you just want to soak in every portion of the world, right? What are these tokens? What is this hotel? Like, how does this world work? Jason Bourne doesn't really have that, but it's still good enough to where it's not something that I get hung up on. At least other people might. And that's, you know, that's fine.
0: Yeah. No, I I think it's a good popcorn movie. I, I think my distance from the Bourne franchise is I've always tried to figure out just why it's so adored. Because I think I think to get there it has to be offering something better than just entertainment. It has to be a little bit better than just an awesome badass action movie. But I don't I don't see like that extra thing, whatever whatever it is that it has. John Wick's a good example that John Wick does the same thing. Like it's totally boosted by just these action sequences, but the way they're performed, the way they're shot is a little more investing you like the world a little more but that's not to say that like the born ultimatum has some good action i think its mistake is just being set in this real world intelligence gathering organization because so much stuff happens that i just don't understand like i don't understand like nikki's motivation to help him at all the last time she he was with her he like threatened her with death and she was just like hysterical and then in this movie she just shows up and she's like. Hey, we got a history. I'm going to help you out. Yeah. I don't know. Like why? Yeah, I wish I and had. there's to... tons of times where people just like show up at like the right room that their target is hiding in. And I don't understand how they know how they know the target is in there. Like the the, the train station is a good one where the reporter gets shot because it's a brutal moment. Yeah. But you're like, how did he know that was the door he was waiting in?
1: They know, man. No,
0: <laughs> it's it's nitpicks. I don't want to get hung up on that stuff because that that train station sequence is so good the the fistfight in tangiers is great i love the assassination in tangiers where born stops he's, him yeah he's tri- he's tricked into thinking the jacket is the bomb and right he stops off. the guy thinking he saved him but he actually right set there. him up perfect that's that's what i'm talking about that's that's one thing i will give this franchise in particular this one which i think does it best is that idea that to be the the top action star you got to be two moves ahead it's not about being stronger it's about being smarter
1: so I think overall you I think your biggest issue with the movie, if I'm hearing you right, is that it commits to this world but just doesn't fully just doesn't fully deliver on what it could. Yeah, I
0: don't think it utilizes it right. in a way that is interesting and, and the thing is I don't think it's trying to. I think it, it wholeheartedly knows that it just needs to string a bunch of action set pieces together, but I don't know so so to try to put it in perspective, my, my dad. He's not a Rolling Stones fan. My dad has this theory that the Rolling Stones like only existed to be like the counter Beatles. That they are they just changed their sound so it wasn't the Beatles, so that you know people could just counter program pick, pick their sides. Right, and I wholeheartedly disagree with that. By the way, for any fans, I love the Rolling Stones, <laughs> but I feel that way about the divide between James Bond and Jason Bourne. That I th- I think Jason Bourne like has a lot going for it. It definitely has its own style, but. I think it's just trying too hard to be like, if you don't like James Bond, come over to Jason Bourne Land. And I think it's kind of silly because I think they're so much more similar than we realize, uh, especially because they're both about these action set pieces. They're both about right. just crazy stunt work. It's kind of just like a difference in editing and tone. But even even James Bond a year before, like by the time Bourne Ultimatum came around and really blew everyone away, I feel like... James Bond did Casino Royale in 2006. Took everything that was good about the first two Bourne movies and made it better, so that Ultimatum almost becomes redundant. Interesting take. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, I'm pretty uh,
0: passionate about my James Bond, which see, I'm not a big is a James, weird I'm not, I'm not a big,
1: to say. And I'm not even a big James Bond fan, but I feel like any of the American you know versions, whether it be Jason Bourne or Indiana Jones, um, Ethan Hawke. Hunt, Hunt, not Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hunt, or even Michael Scarn, which I feel like is, is the, the penultimate uh, James Bond, Michael Scarn from Threat Level Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> greatest script in the world. Uh, I don't know that any of them really match James Bond, but I don't even really like James Bond that much. I don't know. That's not, not no. my thing. But I do, I do like me some Jason Bourne, though. I do like it.
0: It's, it's a fun movie. Like I had, I had a good time, but in terms of like seeing like, is this, is this one I would recommend to everybody? Uh, I can think of a lot of other action movies from this decade that I think are better put together, more investing stories, better developed characters. So
1: side note. So Jason Bourne, the newest movie in 2016. It's not good. It's, it's not very good. At least if a is okay, she's, you know, whatever. Um, but Tommy Lee Jones, no country for old men. Was that his, is that going to be his last good movie? Has he done anything since then? Jeez. And that was be. 10, 11 years ago. That, that, was, was, 2007, that was 2007, right? 2007. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is, that, is that his last, is that going to be his last thing? Hold up, It might be because he's say, not. No, no, no.
0: It absolutely isn't because he is great in Lincoln.
1: Okay. Okay. Lincoln. Yeah, You're right.
0: That might be his last good run. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting though. He had a good, he had a good run though.
1: Because I mean, he, he fits into the, the, the Jason Bourne stereotype of the balding white man who works for the CIA, but he uh, not as good yeah. as, as previous iterations. Not as good
0: so yeah sorry man i i i want to continue trying i don't i don't think that this movie sucks at all i think it's a really good time for me it's just i don't think it's anything so super special that i could consider this a movie everybody's got to see but right. i will and i, and I, I wonder keep trying
1: i wonder i wonder if you would feel differently if you watched them in succession i just, did you, you watched them one two three yeah you feel okay interesting you
0: feel and the that's, same way and that's what i was saying like when you said you had to watch all three i I really didn't, because the second Scott Glenn was like, who's this girl? She's this girl that he picked up in the first movie, and then she died, and he came after us. But here's the thing. He was set up.
1: (laughs) It was good action, okay?
0: It's claustrophobic, (laughs) and it's good. It is good action.
1: Oh, but the end of Ultimatum, when he swims off in the water, and the strings rise up, that's a good, that's a good, like, ah, yeah. It's
0: not as good as the end of Supremacy.
1: Oh, that's the, the uh, that's the, um, you look like hell. You, yeah. You look tired. Yeah. You get, you I don't get know. Some sleep.
0: Cause, cause I want to say like, cause that's him swimming off. That's a great cap or shot, right? Like right. Jason Bourne has brought the organization down.
1: Still trucking.
0: Now he's going to swim off into the sunset. But again, like that's one of those moments that's trying to sell you the moment from five minutes earlier where he said, I'm not Jason Bourne anymore, but it's like, what other life do you have? Jason Bourne forever. Where, where are you going to swim, man?
1: And right, So they weren't planning on doing a franchise, so Jason Bourne, if the first movie was it, he would have been a scooter rental salesman in Greece. He would have been happy. He <laughs> <laughs> would have been fine. Had to make more movies, though. Had to. Well,
0: anything else you want to say about the Bourne ultimatum?
1: No, I think, uh, I think we, we got it. I, I, I want you to like it more.
0: So I'll give you this. I think it's the best of the three definitely is ever so slightly i like supremacy a lot i like i like really because that's
1: that's typically the one that people like the least
0: Mm. they're pretty close there's not one that is head and shoulders like worse or better
1: because i i would say ultimatum identity supremacy
0: yeah to me to me ultimatum just feels like they finally had proven enough of how their style would work that they got to do things they really wanted to like the the seeds are there in supremacy but you can tell they're kind of being held back. It's kind of like Batman Begins, like you can tell the way that movie's edited that Nolan has ideas but he kind of has to do it the studio's way so that mainstream sure. audiences, but once it's a success, like he gets to do whatever he wants in Dark Knight. I feel like that's what Ultimatum got to do because I think the stunts in Ultimatum are way better. Um I think they got to shoot things a little more comprehensively. Uh and I just like the action more. I'm not I kind of checked out at the end of Supremacy that car chase was a little too long, but the motorcycle chase in Ultimatum I was on board. So I'll give you that. I think it's the, I think it's I, the best I think, of the three.
1: I think it goes the the train sequence in the beginning of Ultimatum, For and sure. then the farm sequence in Identity. That's pretty good. It's intense.
0: Yeah, very they're, intense. They're always pretty pretty solid. I I wish we could have a couple more moments like from Identity when he uses a guy to act as a landing pad from a four story <laughs> ball and shoots a guy in the face on the way down. <laughs> Where's that moment? In ulti- this I, would I be the best movie we're... ever if that was an ultimatum. <laughs>
1: uh, an ultimatum, he would have been going up, though, instead of falling down. I don't know how they <laughs> it would've that would have happened. Like, it it, it, it would have been happened, like though.
0: the end of the Matrix. He would have just like, done his <laughs> Superman thing. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I am Jason Bourne, actually. It turns out I don't want to be David Webb. <laughs> I want to
0: fly. Because <laughs> David Webb's a nobody. Man. Well, I I was glad to have the conversation. I will I will continue to try to get some born love going in my heart, but um hey, you know, I vote bust, but I'm just one person. So, if you're out there listening, you think I'm crazy, you agree with you agree with Ryan that this is a movie everybody has to see, go to cinemas.com, find episode 11's posting and cast your vote. We will read that on next episode, which we're going to have Ezra Smith in to talk about to science Two beloved science fiction classics, uh, the anime movie Akira and, of course, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. So that should be a another mind-bending episode that is going to rob me of all sleep. <laughs> so, man, thank you so much for coming back on, right? No, we,
1: thank, thank you for having me. I uh... missed
0: you and I appreciate you not killing me.
1: Sure, sure. <laughs> I, 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 thought, I thought they would have convened on our, our location a little bit sooner, but we had time. So I'm okay am glad, glad we could use it.
0: All right. Let's bug out. Good luck, everybody. Get some sleep. You all look like hell.